Welcome to season seven of Jesus Has Left the Building. We'll hear from guests all over the country who've been engaging in creative, bold, and fluid, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building practices that have inspired us. Our topic of discussion has emerged out of intersectional feminism, leaning into feminist and womanist practices born out of the stories of women, ancient and modern, and are practiced by and include all people as we ritualize relationship. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, womanists, feminists, activists, scholars, authors, and liturgy makers have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Okay, listeners, here we are. The finale of this season of Jesus Has Left the Building, ritualizing relationships with our special guest, Dr. Christina Cleveland. Welcome. Welcome, Christina. We're so glad that you are here today, and we are really excited to hear from you. I actually um, have been listening to your book. I I know that uh, Audible and podcast might not be your thing, but um, it has been my way of managing all all of the information that I have to take in. And it has been wonderful to hear your story and hear your thoughts on the institution and your theological perspective and your image of God. And I have been inspired and it particularly has been wonderful for me to listen to it as I do this work in intersectional feminist approach to worship. I think it's actually vital and important um, for all communities. So we are excited to learn from you and for you to speak this truth into the world. Um, Our first question um, is to tell us, tell us about your work. And I think like we are willing to hear your broad work and, but also we want to hear about this book. And so if, if it sort of goes rogue, we're totally um, fine with that, but we love that us, actually. <laughs> we do, we do love that. And I actually have a bigger problem with going rogue than Mandy does. Um, so, so bear with me, but, um, tell us, tell us about that work and also what it means to lift up voices that have not historically been centered. Mm, thank you. Well, it's nice to be here chatting with you too, and I'm honored that you're listening to my book. So thank you. Um, I I think God is a Black Woman, which is the title of my book, is um, I, th- I think it, it it's I'm lucky because I got to write a book that actually represents my work, all of it, really. Um, I think my my work is liberation work. Um, it's social analysis and critical analysis around structures that have silenced and impeded, silenced people and impeded their um, progress in life. And um, it's also imaginative. The book, you know, I <laughs> I was talking to my sister who's been reading through it and she said, it's like you created your own Narnia. <laughs> you <Aww. know? laughs> You know, and so it's very imaginative and I I love the way that theology can be imaginative. So um, I'd say my work is that as well. Um, But just, you know, kind of in terms of plain speak, 
I'm a social psychologist and a public theologian and an artist and a writer and an activist. And all my work kind of comes together um, in this way to create spaces for people to exercise their spiritual imaginations and really, um, really like pump up those muscles that I think the patriarchal church has um, atrophied, has taught us that, hey, don't be imaginative. You can't listen to, you can't follow your heart. You can't follow your imagination. Um, God isn't who you think God is. God is who we're telling you God is, <laughs> um, or God isn't who you experience. God is who we're telling you you should experience. So um, it's really fun to be in a place where I can hopefully ignite others' imaginations. And I think that gets to your question, your question, Marta, about, um, you know, what does it look like to, um, to be in this project of centering the voices that have been historically marginalized and are currently marginalized. And for me, that would be women, that would be non-binary people, that would be trans people, including trans men. Um, I would say um, that would be black, indigenous and people of color, disabled people, um, people who are, have been historically marginalized in our economic system. So, you know, uh, it goes on and on and on. Um, my book is really about me finding myself in the divine and me identifying a God who understands and inhabits my perspective as a black woman. And part of the reason why I wrote that book is because I wanted other people to know that they can do that too, mm -hmm. that we're all sacred and that my journey of really finding my sacredness in the divine after throwing away this white male Jesus who hated me and hated my body and could never affirm my sacredness. Um, and then finally encountering this sacred black feminine, this God who stands with and for black women because she herself is a black woman and going on my journey all across France to find these ancient images of her. Um, anyone can do that. And you don't have to go to France and walk 400 miles <laughs> across a mountain range to do that. You know, we can do that with our poetry. We can do that with walks in nature. We can do that by reading um, and hearing stories like my own. And even if people can't perfectly relate to my story, they can say, okay, well, if she was able to claim her sacredness, then I can too. Mm. Um, and then I can tell my story and I can pass it on and I can pass it on. And while I was writing my book, God is a Black Woman, I was reading um, the Black Trans Prayer Book, which came out in, um, I think, May 2020. And so right around when I was working on this book, I was reading that book. And I just remember um, it's an edited anthology. So there's, there are numerous Black trans folks who contribute to it. But I just remember thinking, wow, if someone who's a Black trans woman who literally lives at the bottom of our society's pecking order can claim themselves in the divine, <laughs> then what's stopping me? <laughs> um, we can all heal ourselves. We can all make magic um, in that way and then spread it on to other people. Um, so that's I, what's important about this work and not only centering voices, but allowing folks to know that they can center their own voices. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. You know, um, when I was listening to your stories, you very clearly speak into that space 
um, around your experience of God hating your body and hating who you are in the world. And so I just want to put that out to everybody that Christina really has offered these very um, vivid and colorful stories about, about your relationship to God from the time you were a really young person. Mm-hmm. And I think the other piece of it that I was like, I really relate to for me, as I was thinking about my own personal experience, because that is actually what the book does a really good job about is that it is your story, but it's also this invitation to, um, for me to think about what is my story in this? And um, part of why I'm doing this work is because I have felt um, stuck (laughs) and my and I often would say over the years within my work in the church broadly is that my wings are being clipped and I and I can't quite figure out what what is the deal why am I stuck in this structure that like I I love church so much and it's something is not working for me in this space um and and I guess what I thought when I when I was listening to your book I'm like oh let me think about what, what is the image of God for me? Like, how am I? And so it really helped me ask that question because I was like, God is definitely not a white woman for, for me, <laughs> you know? And so I had to really actually go deep and think about where do I see the holy showing up and why? And for me, it was attached to my vulnerability. And so then God always has shown up in the vulnerable, whatever the vulnerable, that is the image for me, right? And so um, to really think about what that means for people. But I do think that by and large, and I don't know if you've had this experience, people have a really hard time detaching from maybe not just a white male God, but a God separate than self. And, and how, and how would you speak into that space? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, a story that I wrote, but ended up getting cut out of the book for space reasons was the first Bible verse that my mom taught me when I was three is Jeremiah 17, nine, the hardest deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And she was, um, doing her best to make sure we stayed on the straight and narrow and obeyed her and obeyed God so that we would have a good life. You know, that was her sort of fear-based way of um, setting us up for success and, you know, in her mind. But I mean, from, from the very beginning, when my little brain and soul were being formed, I was learning I'm the opposite of divine. I'm the opposite of holy. I'm God is far from me. And the only way I can possibly claw my way to this God and his holiness is by, by contorting myself into whatever boxes he and his people tell me I need to contort myself into as I am. I am not good as I am. I am not inherently connected to the divine And um, I mean, that's just a very, I think it was, you know, it was helpful for me to recognize over time that uh, A, it's child abuse to teach your kids that that Bible verse and separate them from their divinity in that way. And that's really silencing too, right? Because what it does is if I have a question or a concern or an inkling or a feeling that is inconsistent with my parents and with Mm -hmm. leadership at church, then I learned to silence it, which is what I did. 
Um, but another thing that was really helpful was really just looking at like patriarchal ways of control, authority, leadership, um, and noticing that um, there are other ways throughout history <laughs> that have also um, been seen as holy by people and that I can, I can, I can wreck, I can, it's not the only way, you know, I think that's, I grew up in just a very all inclusive and comprehensive evangelical space where the music, the t-shirts, the food, like everything's Christian it, this, you know, and so I didn't even know there, there are actually tons and tons of people who profess allegiance to the same Jesus who see things differently and experience church differently. Um, and so that was really helpful for me. But I think um, what, when I started to listen to some of my um, friends and teachers who have a Jewish background, I started to realize it's my birthright to have connection, to have like oneness with the divine. And mm -hmm. anything that robs me of that is robbing me of my sacred birthright. And so I started to take that really seriously. And um, I started to look at spaces that didn't affirm that and say and name that and name that they didn't affirm them and affirm that and identified them as unsafe spaces. This isn't a place that's honoring my connection to the divine. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize, and this was like, oh, just one quick thing. It no, was extremely um, painful to, I mean, I grieved a lot to realize these communities that I've been a part of that have called me family, quote, unquote, <laughs> as Christian communities love to do, um, to recognize they are theologically incapable, theologically mm. incapable of honoring the image of God in me. Mm -hmm. They can't do it. And to really mm -hmm. just grieve that and then release them rather than okay. trying to stay in these spaces mm -hmm. and just keep fighting wall, just keep mm -hmm. running up against walls mm -hmm. and just realizing, oh yeah, they, they can't. I think that's, you know, what I hear um, as you're talking now and in your work, like this, this deep commitment to yourself and to what you, what you need, where your boundaries are, your process is actually holy work. And I think that so often, like you say, you know, in this abusive patriarchal hierarchical system, we are taught to deny self so deeply that that becomes, I mean, impossible in so many ways. And you somehow have broken through those chains and given us, you know, um, like this little light at the end of the tunnel or something, you know, this little light that says like, no, no, actually the holy work, the sacred work, the work you're being called to do is to see the divine in yourself. And, um, I mean, that's super powerful and, incredibly challenging, I think. Um, 
So I recently wrote something for my Patreon community that was around that, this idea that I inherited that self-sacrifice is the pathway to holiness mm-hmm. is like, especially taught to women, especially taught to people of color, right? You know, right. the more you deny yourself, actually the closer you are to God. And, um, so it did take a, it was, you know, I think it was really important for me to encounter these sacred images of the divine to begin to see myself in the divine. I mean, I think the problem of white Jesus is so much more than just uh, an aesthetic problem. Like it really Mm -hmm. taught me that I'm far from the divine and that I can't find myself in the divine Mm -hmm. Um, unless I try to become as close to a white male as I can possibly be while still being a black woman, which I did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I was a professor at Duke. I have an Ivy League degree, you know, mm-hmm. like I did all the things that you could possibly do to be as close to a white man as possible and mm-hmm. still be a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still didn't gain, gain me true acceptance in those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when it comes to that question of, do I stay here and keep working, fighting against the wall or do I move yes. on? Talk to me, that. that question, like, um, that that question became a lot more clear to me once I realized that I don't have to carry all of the work myself. Mm-hmm. When I was in the evangelical world and I was like one of the like national leaders in the reconciliation movement, so much of my work was fueled by fear. And I would say yes to speaking opportunities because I say, well, if I don't go, who will? If I don't speak out in this way, who will? If I don't stay here in this community, who will? Which like, it's interesting because it's a very agnostic way of living, which like is fine if you're an agnostic, but I'm not. (laughs) I was calling myself a believer, but I thought if I didn't go in and save the day, then the day wouldn't be saved essentially. Mm. And once I realized, okay, once I discovered the sacred black feminine, I was like, oh, well, if God's a black woman, then I don't have to be God. Mm-hmm. I, it's handled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can actually release mm-hmm. this community. I can release this institution. I can release this relationship. I can release my body, you know, like not have to control everything all the time because she's got it handled. And then from that place of abundance, I can say, okay, like, am I being invited into this space to collaborate with her to make change? Mm -hmm. Or is it really just time for me to go? But it's like Mm -hmm. moving into that with, with a space and with a sense of abundance, as opposed to fear, which is what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, things won't get better. They'll harm more people, you know, like all of these Mm -hmm. things. It's just like, well, that's not only a really agnostic way of living, it's also really lonely and not accurate because there's all Mm -hmm. sorts of other people who are doing the work too. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting? Like we, um, we have such a hard time recognizing the divine within, but we also have this compulsion to control as if we have the power of the divine, (laughs) right? Like what the heck those should not be in line right but somehow our our crazy yeah. brain thinks that that's how it is yeah and another sort of i guess um like paradox is 
this sense that I can't honor the divine. I, I'm not worthy of honoring the sacredness in myself, but I will like push myself to the max to honor the sacredness of others. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. these spaces, like, you know what, like they deserve good news or they deserve mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. free or they, you know, they deserve. And, mm-hmm. and um, I remember in, in my twenties or thirties, maybe early thirties, when I was doing a lot of reconciliation work, this one like well-known black evangelical pastor said, you know, reconcilers are bridges and bridges get stepped on. Mm. And I just remember thinking, oh good, I finally have sort of a theology of the cross to support my suffering. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm a bridge. So it makes sense that I'm getting stepped on. Mm-hmm. And that's when I just, and it, it was an interesting a few years later to then realize, oh, wait a second. Like that doesn't give anyone a right to abuse me. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, but this, I was so focused on honoring the image of God in other people mm-hmm. and not on, and, and I wasn't able to turn that on myself. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, there was this one quote in the book and I think it was by Hazel Marcus. Is, is that correct? <laughs> and that, that says something around ideas shape culture more than anything else, institutions, everyday practices, and individuals, or something to that effect. You know, I'm writing in my notes on my on my phone as I'm listening. And so for those of us that are primarily practitioners, um, and so for me, like I want to practice this thing. At, and I want to go into these, I'm not done yet. I'm not done with the spaces. Like I'm not done with butting up against the wall. And I think that there are many people um, who, you know, who aren't done yet, even though we, we do feel all of the pain about not being fully um, authentically who we are in those spaces. What, do you have any ideas on how we can slowly practice um, shifting that culture and those ideas slowly, but surely knowing that we're not going to fully become. Yeah. And I think that's true for everyone, right? I mean, I don't think there are any institutions or spaces or communities that are fully in alignment with like what their ideals might be or what my ideals might be. Right. And so, um, we're all in, we're all living in, you know, what, um, inaugurated eschatologists would say like the now and the not yet, right? Like no matter where we are, it just might look differently. Um, I think for me, the pathway that's been most helpful in terms of discerning, how do I change this community has been, how do I change myself first? And for me, that has been the practical question of if I truly believe that God is a black woman, then how will I approach this situation? And I do that. I ask myself that question all the time. Mm. I truly Mm -hmm. believe that God is a black woman. Then, and this is what the pastor said, or this is what came up in small group Bible study, or this is what came up in the budget meeting or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then how will that change the way that I view this, the way that I interact with this situation? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think for me, that opens up space 
for me to relinquish control. Mm-hmm. And sometimes say things that are way harder than I would have said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because like, you know, when, in some situations I will come, I'll come pretty hard after having mm-hmm. that experiment process. Cause I'm like, the image of God in people is being tarnished. Mm-hmm. This is scary. Like, you know, so I come with that prophetic fire mm-hmm. and it's like way more serious than it would be mm-hmm. otherwise. And then sometimes I think in this case, I think I need to let her move in their hearts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I even think that um, showing up and even just naming, like, this is what the image of God is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, this is go- how I'm going to lead this particular moment mm-hmm. in time, because this is how I'm understanding God to be. Yeah. Um, I think that, that alone can sort of shift and be powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. also um, model, like, mm-hmm. You can access your image of God. Cause I don't think people go to that space enough. Mm-hmm. I don't think like they even think in that way. Um, they're just going through this rote patriarchal hierarchical way. Like this is just what we do. And we're not really going to think much more about it. And we're not going to be super creative about understanding that image. Um, and so I think that you have really offered um, mm-hmm. a beautiful example of how people can practice their faith that is not just who they are, but from the point of view, even from someone that is radically different than they are and shows up radically differently in the world and um, has these experiences that are actually horrific and sinful and, uh, you know, all of those things. So um, I want people to get your book. God is a black black woman. (laughs) Yeah, we'll definitely um, put some links in um, to the show notes so that people can access your work. Um, this is, it's so great to be with you. I um, i think I needed, I needed to hear just personally today, I needed to hear that the divine is in me. So even in that, um, I'm grateful. Um, because it's hard to find that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm so grateful for your call to, to do that work, you know, how important it is for each of us um, to do it individually and to do it collectively. Mm-hmm. So um, we are super grateful for you joining us on this, um, this episode and, and, and for your work in the world. Um, truly grateful. Thank you. Yeah, I want to I want to comment on that because I think it is hard. I think it is hard to find ourselves in the divine, especially when we've been taught for years and years and years that to even try is like idolatrous or something or like mm-hmm. a competition with God. Mm-hmm. Heretical. <laughs> Heretical, exactly, you know. Um and then And then at some point it stops being hard. Mm. (laughs) And I think that's one of the things I like about the spiritual journey in general is things usually start out challenging and then they're not, you Mm. know, 
there's an, there's an impermanence to a lot of the journey. Um, and I love that because now it's funny. One of the people who works on my um, team, my, my work team um, said that the thing that she's learned the most working with me for two years is that she's too sacred for most things in her life. <laughs> and she kind of just moves around being like, no, I'm too sacred for that. I'm too sacred for that. You know? So like it is, I think it has a lot to do with the voices that are around us mm -hmm. that are, you know, um, affirming us. And so that's why I, yeah. I think that for, for folks that do really feel called to have one foot in a, in a community that mm -hmm. cannot affirm them, just to be really intentional about having another foot in a community that can and mm. spending um, as much time in that community mm -hmm. as you do the other. Um, because I think we do, we are social beings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sociologists for years have said that, you know, you are, you have as many social selves as there are people whose opinions you value, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. shaped mm -hmm. by the people who are around us. And that's mm -hmm. normal. That's the way yeah. we are. And so then the question is, who am I going to intentionally be around? Um, so I'm getting what I need as I continue the work that, that I do, mm -hmm. that is. I hear that sort of figuring out a way to balance um, are we going to stay in this to sort of shift it, shift the culture a little bit at a time and also finding those spaces where we can be more affirmed or where, or where there's people that are actually working towards that, right? Um, it's, it's hard. It's yeah, hard it's in white Colorado. Yeah. I mean, you're in like, yeah, I, you're in Colorado Springs. So, whew. Bless you. Oh, I know. But um, Zinju Earth, Earthland Manuel is probably my favorite Black Buddhist teacher. Um, and she wrote a book called, I don't know if it's called Sanctuary or Home or Refuge. It's one of those, um, I can't remember mm -hmm. the actual title, but that's the, I, the whole book is about finding your home spiritually psychologically physically finding your home and she, one of the she defines home lots of ways but one of the ways that really stuck out to me was she's defined it as uh, home is where you get to be a person mm. home is where all of you gets to show up and all of you gets to take a breath and all of you gets to be embraced and all of you belongs and you don't have to cut off any one part of yourself Mm. And I think when I think about that other community that's life-giving and supportive, and um, that would be that place where you get to be a person where it's not, you know, there aren't, there aren't these um, microaggressions and there aren't these, you know, oh, we're working so hard at this, like, as if Mm -hmm. you, know, you want as if they want a cookie you know what I mean or something I'm like um, so I think that's like you know just really a beautiful thing to look for and to create amongst your friends um, but I also I know for me and I don't know if this is the case for you all but I'm just speaking from my own experience when I was really trying to discern do I stay in these spaces especially these like particularly um barren evangelical spaces. Mm. Um, a big question for me was, who am I if I leave? Because mm. 
the noble, the noble ego part of me was like, I'm here to make sure that they change and to do the work and da, 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 da. But another part of me that was just as real was, I don't know who I am if I'm not doing this work in this space. And I feel like I will cease to exist in terms of my value. And I think one of the challenges of a lot of these Christian spaces too, is they're so comprehensive. It's your social world. It's your financial, it's your economic world. It's your Mm -hmm. self-esteem world. It's your identity world. It's your spiritual world. I mean, some of the early questions I had were like, am I going to go to hell? You know, like literal, like, am I going like, what will happen to me in terms of salvation? That's not Mm -hmm. a question I have anymore, but that was absolutely a question that I had at the beginning to say nothing of the economic, I mean, they're they're like cults in the Mm -hmm. broadest sense of the word, right? Like it's really, really, really hard Mm -hmm. to extricate yourself from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if you just want to have a moment to breathe and question, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. even if you're not like I'm leaving, but you're just like, I just need a vacation. Like that's impossible Mm -hmm. because they're so tightly wound up. Mm And I remember when I first left my church, I, ha- I didn't have any friends. Mm. I didn't have any people to bring me soup if I was sick. You know, like it, you, I was completely alone mm-hmm. as a single woman in a city where my family wasn't, wasn't mm-hmm. where my biological family didn't mm-hmm. live. And it's scary. And so mm-hmm. I think that that deeper question of like, who am I? Am I safe? Am I saved? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that then we can start to get honest about and then bring those questions to the divine mm-hmm. and say, hold these because it's a lot bigger. Like, you know, the, the mm-hmm. quandary is a lot bigger, but I think that's where it's like, that's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and for, for our tradition, being the United Church of Christ, you know, all progressive, yeah, we don't have like the theological salvation issue in any way, shape or form. No one, no one cares if you're saved or not. Um, And like saving is a whole another situation. Um, But what I will say, you know, for me, what has been so hard as a daughter of an immigrant and um, the first person to go to college, um, that for me, doing doing all of this work academically is the salvation. Mm -hmm. And so um, you strive and you strive and you strive in order to be good enough in those spaces. and, you know, to, to work really hard and, but, you know, but I don't act like a man, maybe I need to like go to Banana Republic and get my little suit and, you know, so I can show up in that way. And then, you know, and then I don't, and then I'm sad about it. And then it's this vicious cycle. And then I try again and, you know, um, and so I don't, I guess what I want to say is yes, evangelical churches have their things to work out. And also the progressive mainline church also has their yeah. stuff to work out. That is, that is so hard in a not completely different way, but in many ways. Um, and I think it's still about salvation in progressive mainline mm-hmm. spaces because this, but the salvation hinges on like, politics, like, um, mm-hmm. performative justice, you know, stuff like that. Yes. 
Yeah. It's, yeah. it's less of a confession or like an affirmation of faith and more of like a performance, you know, a performance essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Behavioral, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the way you show up. Yeah. No, yeah. this has, um, I think it's, I think it's important that we speak, speak these stories and speak these truths to the world. And, and I know that Mandy and I, in some way started this podcast a couple of years ago, because um, we wanted to find an affirming community um, in a way that we could um, virtually at the time during COVID. And so this has, um, every time we have these kinds of conversations, I'm like, oh, this is giving me a little skip in my step. Thank you so much for showing up and being here with us and having this conversation. And so I'm aware of the time and I just, um, I think um, I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful we got to know you. I'm grateful that you offered your time to us and um, and you're sharing your gifts out into the world and the way you are. I was um, jumping with joy to be able, that you and your people agreed to be in this space with us. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to join you. Well, folks, that's a wrap. We are so grateful to all of our guests for season seven. And to all of you listeners out there, be sure to follow us because we have some more amazing conversations planned for 2023, including a series on anti-racism work with Reverend Dr. Anthony Scott launching in January. Stay tuned and we'll see you soon. If you like what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com backslash J-H-L-T-B. This podcast is made possible by the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ Tributary Fund. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world.